Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg talk with the CEOs, politicians, and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. This is episode 37, where Lewis and Ann speak with George Allen, president of Acreage Holdings. There are a few companies out there that have disrupted the cannabis industry quite like Acreage Holdings. Back in April, Acreage announced that former Republican Speaker of the House and staunch conservative John Boehner joined their board, along with former Governor of Massachusetts Bill Weld. This felt like an inflection point in the industry, perhaps even the tipping point of when it became cool for politicians to embrace this business. Acreage is also fresh off a just announced $119 million round of funding, the largest private financing deal in the cannabis industry to date. One last note before Ann and Lewis jump into it, Acreage Holdings is a client of KCSA. Don't sit back, lean forward. Now, onto the conversation. George, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Let's jump right in. Uh, back in April, you guys made incredible news when you announced that former Speaker of the House and Republican John Boehner joined the board of Acreage Holdings. Um, some people thought it was a money grab by the speakers. The speaker, others saw it as a really important shift um, in the in the business and in the industry of cannabis. Can you talk a little bit about what he's been doing with Acreage since joining the board? Well, I got to say, first of all, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, and it's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, having uh, John Boehner join the board and Bill Well join the board, both of them uh, have had a transformative impact on our business. Uh, they, at, at its baseline value, I think, you know, when I had approached a couple of the employees around here and suggested that we we're going to be bringing on uh, John Boehner to the board. I think they looked at me like my head was on backwards. <laughs> and and we did get a fair amount of that response because if you are, you know, if you're a, uh, if you are, have been living the cannabis dream for a long time, it almost feels like we're defecting to the other side by bringing uh, John onto the board. The reality is it's, it's much more of a pragmatic approach which is um, at its baseline, uh, he, he is a person who uh, represents a significant swath of the American population that, uh, that you have to bring along if you're going to make cannabis mainstream in the United States. So uh, from our standpoint, what we, we had hoped to accomplish, and I think for the most part we had by bringing him on, is, is the demonstration that uh, cannabis mainstream moment has come. Uh, so he, go ahead. He, I, I think though a lot of people said it was really surprising that he did this because he had been on the record saying, "No way, never. I will never support cannabis." So how did you flip him? Like, can you t talk a little bit about that process of you know where you kind of grabbed him by the 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 collar or the arm and said, "Follow me," and you know, to kind of take us through that his education a little bit. Well, it, I hope it wasn't all, that violent. <laughs> there, right, there, was, there was actually uh, very little physical contact. <laughs> um, it, it was, um, you know, I, I will say, first of all, 
uh, Kevin and Kevin's story is very compelling in terms of uh, his how he had built the business here. We're talking Kevin Murphy, right? Kevin Murphy, that's right, our founder. Uh, and and um, when Kevin and I sat down with John Boehner and went through with him, I think he was really astounded at, at, at some of the facts that we brought to bear. And he was open-minded about it. And I was really impressed with how open-minded he was. And when we talked to a fairman about um, about the veterans who are using cannabis, I think that was largely what uh, had sealed the deal for him, uh, seeing the fact that, uh, you know, 22 percent of veterans are using cannabis, despite the fact that the VA pays for uh, a mountain of pills. Uh, they're using cannabis instead to treat their PTSD. And that helped a lot. Yeah, uh, and and I think you know the fact that he was a never cannabis guy, bringing him over to being uh, to to being open minded about cannabis, um, that's exactly what has to happen to make cannabis mainstream. And we've seen that everybody's got a story. They've got a story about how they were surprised when they wanted to go work at Acreage Holdings. They talked to their mom, and their mom instead of screaming at them says, "Yeah, you go get them. That sounds amazing." Uh, we've got countless stories of that uh, around here. It's just surprising to 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 see how fast the the, the winds of change have blown. So you you recently announced a nearly hundred and twenty million dollar funding round, and congrats! It's the the biggest one in the history of uh, U.S. cannabis. Can you tell us about the process of of how you raised that much money for a cannabis company? Well, I tell you what, uh, it's it's no different than raising money for for everything else. You you uh, you've got to you've got to go to a lot of meetings, take a lot of rejection, uh, tell the same story uh, over and over again. What was really fun, though, is the moment you 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 um, you hear the personal stories that people give back to you about their experiences with cannabis. And how they've watched somebody's life be be fundamentally changed uh, with 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 some of the the uh, medical attributes of the of the plant. So, I would say, you know, our process very similar to, to everyone else's. We we didn't get a lot of traction with uh, with institutional investors in the end. We spent a lot of time with institutional investors, all of which who I think uh, were very eager to to uh to invest in the space ultimately you know it got lost in legal somewhere where they were very uh, nervous about uh their banking relationships and whatnot and and while they were figuring that out and we were in the process of figuring that out with a with a number of institutional investors while they were figuring that out um you know the 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 high net worth individuals who we had solicited really just filled the books and uh, we realized we were done um, before we could even consider the institutional investors who were at the table. And wow. we had so a heart. We had a heart gap really, around. We hit it. Oh, okay. So, and, and it was really the the high net worth investors that was it mostly high net worth or other? I guess what other players were involved? Yeah, we've got some some uh, single purpose uh, or dedicated venture fund firms. Uh, that were dedicated to cannabis or or um, or narrow type investment mandates, so we did have a fair spectrum of that. But for the most part, individuals and family offices uh, were our were our staple investor in the round. 
So you guys are an American-based company, <coughs> and you know, can you talk a little bit about um, the, the the makeup of the investor base? Did you raise it all from Americans? Were there Canadians involved? Did you go to Australia? I mean, talk. Can you talk a little bit about like where these investors came from? Uh, so we had investor participation from uh, all corners of the world. I mean, all corners of the world. I, I mean that we we had a fair amount of. Uh, uh, diligence calls with Middle East. Uh, and, were they and reaching Asia. out to you? I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, like, how are you reaching these corners of the earth? It's a great, it's a good question. It, it, it's all about how you network uh, this stuff. People look for uh, the story got told about what we were putting together, which, you know, in long or short version was basically uh, the combination of, a new class of uh, professionalism in the cannabis space combined with the largest footprint in the United States um, when we, and, and, and combined with um, the type of leadership that we had around us from the board level, that story, that story kind of rippled around the, around the earth it, among investors who are looking to find ways to differentiate uh, how they invest in, in a, in a, you know, in a low interest rate environment, uh, you know, th this type of story of a hundred billion dollar industry waking up overnight tends to get their attention. <laughs> and I assume the John Boehner announcement helped a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah to, to, say, to say the least. I mean, um, really, it helped. Uh, it helped because there's a marginal class of investor out there who was on the fence about uh, you know the risks around investing, and I think that that marginal class of investor who saw the opportunity but was on the fence about investing, when they saw John Boehner sort of invest with his personal credibility and and his reputation, I think that helped tip a fair number of people into okay, it's time to break out the checkbook and get involved. Um, so I want to pivot a little bit and talk about the. Uh the business of acreage specifically, um, and the kind of unique business model you guys have, you initially invest in, but you don't operate the licenses that you targeted. Can you talk about being an owner operator and what the, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from actually growing, processing and dispensing, um, that you can share? So the, the genesis of the business, uh, was early on to get these licenses, you really needed a tremendous amount of local connectivity. And so what Kevin had built long before I got here was a network of people who had that local connectivity in various markets to go uh, and, and get these licenses and these state concessions. Kevin owned a, a minority piece for the most part in all of those uh, in all of those licenses uh, and had had always shared the vision to take those assets, combine them into one operating business and, and take it public. The, the lesson that I think we learned in doing that was, uh, with all of the, um, you know, w w in, in some respects with all of the effort we had put forth into creating a brand, creating a business, creating a story and a, and a, and a leadership team that was successful, uh, in in relaying that message, even with all of that, it was still a tremendous lift to negotiate uh, all of those roll-ups. And that, that took us a fair amount of time to get complete, which I, I must say that um, if I ever 
had to do that again, I'm not sure I would take it <laughs> as a challenge. But but we got past it, and um, I'm really grateful for the participation we have uh, from all of the, our minority investors who have really they've they've sunk their uh, their careers and their blood, sweat, and tears and in, in investments uh, into the space, and and we're not going to let them down. So, you know, that you talk about your minority investment partners and that you're rolling them up. Um, and the, the price of these licenses is it's, it's a it's a dynamic market, right? It's it's a, it's almost like there's an arbitrage going on between an initial purchaser, them building up the value of the license and then somebody like you coming in and buying them up. Do you think the valuations of licenses um, are have hit a peak are are they still accelerating i mean are you being are you guys being really really smart and buying low assuming that they're going to continue to appreciate in value i mean can you, can you talk a little bit about that that side of the business it's like anything else supply and demand so so on the demand side i don't think we've started to see the full amount of capital that's going to pursue this opportunity and that is only going to continue uh, right now, you have a very small proportion of the capital stack, which is high net worth and individual investors who are capable of participating. And that's only going to increase. Right? We, we know, uh, you know, uh, with the exception of maybe some sort of calamitous adverse event, um, you know, from a policy standpoint, that's only going to continue uh, from a supply standpoint. You know, we have a dialogue going with regulators about how they want to, um, how they want these programs to roll out in a way where they can control them. They want, uh, they want fewer throats to choke in terms of <laughs> the ability to make sure that you're compliant with the rules. Wait, wait, wait! wait. I thought this wasn't a physical industry. You didn't grab Boehner, and now you're saying <laughs> these guys want to choke your throat? Oh, sometimes with the regulators, you can imagine they they get they get pretty animated because they're the ones who deal with the calls. You know, they're they're going to get the phone call from the governor when the packaging isn't compliant, and uh, or or you know somebody gets into a product they shouldn't, and and that's that's a responsibility we all have. So you you guys own most of your licenses in limited license states, right? Like New Jersey, for example. And you recently bought a, a dispensary in New Jersey. Do you think that you guys are going to expand also into the more open states like Nevada and California, Oregon? Um, and 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 if you do, how does that impact on your business model of you know buying licenses where it's limited so that they are more valuable and you're able to get a, a larger share of the market? That's that's a great question, and we we think a lot about that. Just to clarify, we we actually partnered in New Jersey with a non for profit, but we have a we have a very good relationship with them, uh, such that we have a, a a relationship between our two businesses where we get a lot of the economic benefit from investing in the business. But that specifically uh, to your question about how do we do it, uh, we, look what we look for in this business are choke points where we can invest into something that has an either naturally occurring or uh, a statutorily preserved barrier to entry. And so uh, there are 200 dispensaries in the port in Portland, uh, Oregon, and that you could argue is a little bit less of an, uh, of an, a naturally occurring barrier to entry than uh, the fact that there are only uh, uh, six ATCs in the entire state of New Jersey. Um, but that said, we want to be a nationwide brand. We want the ability to communicate, communicate nationwide footprint 
to uh, to customers and to create a consistent experience across the board. So we will be going into to different markets. Uh, our our preference is to pick the places where we see uh, some fundamental barrier to entry. So New Jersey had just um, announced, I think, to the surprise of at least a couple people that they're opening up and accepting, I think, is it a half a dozen um, new licenses? Are you guys going to compete for those? Well, we probably can't uh, just because of the relationship we have in New Jersey. Uh, although I'll, I will say that we've got a good relationship there uh, in the state. And I'm very excited about New Jersey as a cannabis market. It's got a slow start. Um, you know, Chris Christie had, got his, had his thumb on the industry for a long period of time. No, 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 no. He had his head up his ass. <laughs> your words, your words. Hey, Tom, happy to say it. I'll say uh, it again. He had his head up his ass. Yeah, so. it was. I mean, he was he was uh, obstructionist to say the least about the industry. And and look, let's be clear. Like now, uh, with Phil Murphy, you know, it's very clear that not only is he a believer in cannabis, but he's a believer in the cannabis solving a, a bit of the 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 fiscal issue in that state. So it, the 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 agenda has changed. Here's what is amazing about uh, cannabis. Cannabis actually is not uh, a limited quantity or a zero-sum market. Uh, and this is one of the fascinating things that we've looked at by looking at a tremendous amount of data here at Acreage. What that means is uh, the fact that they're expanding the program in that state, the fact that they're expanding the number of licensees in that state, Yes, you, you can argue, and there are, I'm sure, a bunch of guys who are licking their wounds because they liked it when there was an exclusive market and it was only them. But let's be honest, fellas, that ain't going to last for a long time. And the true reality is that consumers respond to cannabis based on how prevalent it is in their jurisdiction. You look at Arizona and Michigan, two states where uh, medical cannabis rivals in scale and per capita consumption what you see in California. The reason for it is because of the number of dispensaries at large in that in those states. And so what that means is the proliferation of the business, the visibility of the business, all are factors in creating a tipping point in terms of acceptability within those jurisdictions. And, and that's definitely what we're seeing. Uh, so, so we're, we are, we actually take a counterpoint on this one. We're, we're very uh, friendly towards expansion of the programs uh, within the states. We welcome that with open arms. We do ask to have an open dialogue with the regulators about how they structure it, not because we're trying to keep people out of it, but because we're trying to keep the morons out of it. Well, and also to keep it from staying in the black market. I mean, I think most of the 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 legitimate um, companies like yours are looking to take it out of the illicit market and move it into the light so that it's that the products are tested, the, you know what you're getting, the, there's taxes collected, people are stopped stopping, you know, uh, selling, uh, you know, illegally on the street. Um, 100%. It, it only it only yeah. makes sense. Uh, so can we? Can we, I, I want to stay on the, the the politics side of this a little bit because you know you you guys have you brought in Governor Weld who is you know the former vice presidential uh, candidate for the Libertarian Party. You have um, you know former Speaker of the House John Boehner who is a Republican. Uh, you know the the two loudest voices right now, other than you know there are guys like. 
Cory Booker, and I can't dismiss him. And, and, and personally, I'm a huge fan of his or Elizabeth Warren. But it really seems like the Republicans have been able to change the conversation about cannabis legally. Do you see this as continuing that the Republicans are going to adopt this and, and make this their issue? Or do you think that that Boehner and Weld are more of you know outliers in the party? And if this isn't something that you know, then you don't have to answer. No, well, it's, no, moving it's, on. Look, what I would say is that everybody spends a lot of time sort of, you know, conjecting on this topic, right? Uh, it, because it's it really is a big question. Do we need a change in Pennsylvania Avenue in order for, for cannabis to become legal? I don't believe we do or, or actually decriminalized. Um, I don't believe that we do. I actually don't believe that we do at all because I think that it's base level. The whole point of politics is to reflect the will of the people. Um, that just kind of goes back to the uh, the earliest notions. But but w what I will say is uh, we are starting to see uh, Republican participation on the on the cannabis agenda. That's uh, that is really profound uh, um, certain topics, banking reform. We've seen a fair amount of participation. We've seen uh, veterans participation or veterans uh, support for cannabis. Um, so I, I will, I, I don't know which one of the, the parties is going to lead the charge. I think it's really hard to say, uh, I, 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 except to say that right now as constructed, you really don't go anywhere without an R next to your name uh, on the vote. So, um, but I, I would say I think we are 50-50 right now as to whether or not this thing tips over uh, this year. I, I'd give it 50-50 odds of whether or not it happens. And really the big catalyst there is what issues take hold in the, in the midterm elections. This being rescheduling or descheduling? Descheduling, yeah. Descheduling. That's right. And I think just the general – if it's going to happen, it's going to happen – uh, in in the form of either banking reform uh, or or uh, which is effectively descheduling or um, or an actual bill to deschedule. We have a running joke here that it'll probably happen on like November third. No, October. <laughs> I think it's October fifteenth. The October I think surprise. It's October fifteenth. Yeah, totally. And if it catches, I mean, it. And I think that the Republicans could could grab hold of this. And it's a popular use, issue. I mean, and, popular opinion is is on the side of cannabis, right? If he does I, it, absolutely. I will shoot myself in the head. <laughs> if he steals this issue from the Democrats, it's going to kill me. Well, the Democrats <laughs> well, are totally giving it up. But listen, don't be I too digress. bummed out. Don't be too. We, we're all going to make one giant step forward there. I think the bigger issue is whether or not we can get a couple of these chuckleheads to actually start using the product because I think it might change their outlook. <laughs> so, that's a, so I got to ask. You know, John Boehner is well known for smoking cigarettes. Have you ever thought of just slipping him a pre-rolled in the pack of cigs and just say, "Hey, let's see what happens"? <laughs> we're gonna have to let we're gonna have to let uh, our our uh, our board relationship mature a little bit before I think that one happens. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm not, like here, John, try this talk. There may be a breach of governance in there. I don't know, but uh, my my general counsel probably has a view. Uh, but, uh, but, but I tell but, but he's, he's, uh, he's a good guy. I don't think he uses cannabis, but I think he knows enough people that do, and he's heard a fair amount of stories. So can we talk about the suits? Um, you know, suits like you guys are, are coming in and buying up, um, you know, the historically, you know, I, I guess mom and pop shops. Um, and, 
you know, there's the argument that, um, you know, a bunch of rich old white guys are going to make the money, you know, leaving the, the, the people that this industry is built on, um, you know, especially people of color, um, you know, kind of behind and, and sitting in jail cells for nonviolent crimes. Um, what would you say to those people and what are you guys doing from a social justice standpoint? Well, listen, it's a big social justice is a big issue for us. And we were actually working with uh, with a couple of the more proactive regulators in the space, thinking about how we collectively can come up with a solution where we can help finance um, minority participation in the industry. But let's be clear, historically, it might not have been Wall Street uh, who was investing in, in this industry, uh, but they were wearing suits. For the most part, they were lawyer suits. Uh, and, and, you know, what we've seen in terms of who, who were the early entrants in this space, um, you know, there were, it's especially in the East Coast markets where these licenses were given out to a chosen few. Um, you know, it, 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 this, this isn't a question about, uh, about migration from the sort of mom and pop story to, to one of, of large corporate America. It's really a question of, of migrating into an investment vehicle where other people can participate in the upside. And to, thus far, the, the, uh, the, the market had been reserved for a very select number of participants who were able to, uh, who, who were able to, to voice, um, influence substantial enough to get one of these licenses. So uh, it, yes, the industry is getting, is getting more professionalized. Like, let's be honest, isn't that better for everyone? You want throw, you, you want culpability, you want uh, responsibility, um, you want to be able to attribute uh, products to people who have reputations and, and financial risk on the line. So it, it, it is for the better in the industry. That said, we've climbed uh, the hill basically uh, from people who, who have been in this um, you know, have been doing this for a long time and have been advocating for legalization of cannabis. And those are people that we definitely, uh, you know, we salute in terms of the work that they've done. We, we try to work with them uh, to the extent we can. Um, this has been a, a long slog getting into yeah. this spot. So, you, you know, we talked a, a few minutes ago about how quickly the, the pace of change in the industry is accelerating. It seems like every day something is happening at a state level or a federal level that, you know, gives gives you hope that this is going to, to change. And, you know, you, you said you think 50-50 by the end of the year. I think it's higher than that. I think that, you know, my guess is October the that the president deschedules. He's going to need a win before the, the, the midterms. And, you know, given the way that this – this industry polls 90 plus percent favor medicinal access 70 plus percent now favor adult use access so let's go under the assumption that sometime this year we get a descheduling event so what does day one of legal pot look like for for acreage and and then more importantly what does day like 2000 you know five six years down the line look like for you guys yeah i mean it's fascinating we, we think about that a lot look we our view around here is that uh, that that represents a massive sea change for us and the rest of the industry because the moment that um, the, the moment that you can get you know decriminalized, then you're just going to see the the, the industry is going to fill up with all the would-be participants who don't let hundred billion dollar industries uh, get fed to other people. Like you know, in this in, in this space, it's very obviously. 
alcohol, tobacco, and pharma. And they've all been sidelined. They've, you know, to, to, to some lesser or greater extent, they have board committees set up and are looking at this base and, and, um, and are well, all trying to, you know, Constellation invested in, in Canopy, right? And exactly. twice they, you know, they put a direct equity investment in and then they participated in a debt deal. So do you think that what will happen is relatively quickly that, that the, the bigger players that you guys, the, the GTIs are going to get bought or are you going to have, uh, hopefully have enough time to, to develop and then maybe eat each other and then be big enough to survive on your own? Well, who knows? But, but look, we're building a business here that I hope that can endure for a long period of time. And and what we view is the time between now and then uh, is the opportunity for us to build a wall or a moat around the business such that when they come in with their capital, we've got the assets uh, to protect to protect ourselves. And so, yes, yeah, so I think our business is going to have a tremendous appeal when that happens. Um, that said, you know, I think our business is being built by a group of passionate people who want to see it run, uh, want to see it run as, as an independent company for as long as possible. And but I will say this, you know, the reason why we are so active right now from an acquisition standpoint and deploying capital is because the writing is on the wall about what's going to happen to asset prices uh, once once this sea change occurs. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just pretty fundamental physics of the, uh, the ecosystem that what comes in is going to go out and a lot of com- a lot of money is going to be coming into the space. So let's speak about that for a second. So, it, you know, in the announcement that you guys issued and all the coverage around the, the, the equity raise, you also mentioned that you guys were going to do an RTO up in Canada. Um, and, and the CSE has clearly become the home for U.S. companies looking to access the capital markets. Do you think that the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange are sitting there just salivating and, and pissed off at the White House for having them lose all the listing fees? The banks are losing all of the banking fees. I mean, how much pressure do you think Wall Street is now putting on the Justice Department, the White House um, to, to get their act together and deschedule? I don't. What I'd say is right now, do I think that they're pissed off? No, I think that they see the writing on the wall, and if it goes on for much longer, uh, then then you know the the volumes that are going to exist. I mean, what they care about are, are trading volumes and the volumes that are going to exist off of their footprint for what is going to become the best growth opportunity in commerce. Uh, you know, this this decade, when they see the when when that. Re- when when the volumes increase as they will over the next year or so, then I think it's going to be a real a real question for them. I don't think they pushed back that hard politically because they're not sure. In addition to uh, the regulatory issues that exist, I don't think that you can convince New York Stock Exchange uh, or or Nasdaq that the 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 that the public companies that exist in cannabis today, uh, if for U.S. operators, really constitute uh, the maturity and uh, and the professionalism that they're seeking, that's going to change. We are going to change that. A couple of our competitors and, and peers are going to change that. And when that when that changes and when the volume occurs, then you're going to see them uh, uh, start making phone calls. Um, 
And so from our standpoint, we could wait around for that. A couple of our competitors have said pretty vocally that they are going to wait around doing that. We're not. We're, we're going to go uh, list in Canada in a way that I think will allow us structurally to, to, uh, to move into the U.S. when we can. So let's talk about you um, from a personal standpoint, if we can. You were the chief investment officer at Cambridge Information Group, which was um, is an IT-focused investment group. How, if at all, did that prepare you for your work in the cannabis industry? And are all of your colleagues, like, scratching their heads, or are they like, hey, dude, I want in? <laughs> Uh, so first, first of all, when, when we turn the to personal discussion, I feel like I should drop an octave or something. And it's just like, <laughs> we now, we now got into the real personal. So now we're so going to take it down a bit. We're going to take it down a little bit here. So, so, um, so, so the, uh, it, what I was in private equity for 10 years, one form or another, uh, uh uh, to, in, a, in a firm for 10 years, and then I did it for another uh, four or five years after that. Uh, and most recently, the CIO job that I was in got me exposure to the industry because um, I was very lucky to work for an extremely progressive investor who uh, was interested in looking at the space. And so I started looking at it, and I, I came across Kevin and just really uh, became enamored with the opportunity over here and eventually over uh over a couple meals uh over the course of about a year decided that i should do this with him and it's been unbelievably uh thrilling for me i'm just the, the ride of a lifetime i could i will never repeat the experience of working here in my entire career the joy that that i've had in just building a team around such an awesome vision and mission it's been a blast a total blast um and it's uh, my friends uh, and my network. Uh, it, 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 it it happened almost overnight. Though, what the heck are you thinking? To uh, to brilliant. now, I just I just get I get just just bombarded, and and every and, huh. and they're playing the Canadian stocks, and they think I know about the Canadian stocks. Which <laughs> I'm like, do you really think that's how I spend my day? You know, combing through the filings of Canadian stocks, like to be. To be honest, oh, that's you know, Alan Broxine's job. Right, right. And so, no, I don't. Uh, and Vivian Azer, right? Yeah. So, so it's been, it's been great. It's been great. I mean, one of the best things around here for me personally has just been building a team and and building an an awesome team, which is just, it's been so much fun, so much fun. So let's. I mean, you know, this is a an industry that is. Uh, revolves around the plant. So, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with it? You know, do you have a relationship with the plant? Because some of some of the CEOs and the presidents and the the chair people that we've spoken with are like, nah, I never use it. And others are like, yeah, I have a great relationship with it. You know, it's so funny. I feel like it's de rigueur to to, to say that uh, you believe in the healing powers of the plant and you don't use it. And um, and uh, I, I always I, I I always look at that. And I'm saying, yeah, really. I mean, really, do you, is that really the way you feel? Um, but uh, no, I, I, I got exposed to cannabis uh, pretty young. Um, I've never done any other drug, uh, but I've always thought that cannabis was pretty remarkable. Um, uh, I would say in general, I try, I try to limit my usage of it. Um, but I will say that I have used it for, for, for a pretty extended period of time since before I should have. 
Um, and you I, used it when it was weed or pot or marijuana. Now that it's cannabis, I, I used it when I went to boarding school and some kid next to me, uh, you know, probably scraped something off of someone's shoe and said it was marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> so, right? um, so, but yes, I mean, that, that's the gist of it. it. But, but I, I, I actually happen to think, and I subscribe to this notion. Um, I actually think that cannabis in, in many ways, many ways has uh, a role to play in making the world a better place. Amen. I love that. So now it's actually a great place to go to Puff Puff Pass. So we ask all of our guests, give us two things you love about the industry and one thing you absolutely hate about the industry. Go. Oh, my, uh, I mean, my favorite thing is the diversity of people who use cannabis. Favorite moment I've ever had in cannabis was being at a dispensary in upstate Connecticut, watching a trooper roll in. Uh, in, in a squad car, walk out, come in, give his medical card. So people in the wow, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> uh, that so that was that's definitely uh, one of my favorites. Uh, just the explosive growth and and just the fact that this industry is a blank canvas, right? And as the biggest player in the industry, we get to actually put the ink on the canvas. That's awesome. Yeah, you're writing history. Yeah, yeah, yes. The one thing I hate about the industry is definitely banking. It sucks. You just, it's a nightmare. And I'm almost 100% certain that by going public, I'm going to lose my own checking account, which I have no idea how I'm going to handle that. But like, if you guys want to get paid in Bitcoin, like at Starbucks, like, let me know because it may be happening soon. Yeah, actually, we have to disclose George is a client um, uh, and by far one of the coolest guys that we get to work with on a daily basis. Oh, thanks. That makes me feel great. I'm, but you guys got to upgrade who you hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, those were great, George. Thank you so much, man. This was an awesome conversation. Um, and we are really excited to, to continue to work with you guys and to see how Acreage continues to grow. We're having a blast with you guys as well. And thanks for everything. Thanks again to our guest, George Allen, president of Acreage Holdings. Check them out at acreageholdings.com and on Twitter at Acreage Cannabis. Thanks so much again for listening. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button, and we would love it if you gave us a rating and a review. If you have a comment or a question, we would love to hear from you. Check us out at KCSA underscore cannabis on both Twitter and Instagram, or drop us an email at greenrush at KCSA. Dot com. That's one That's take. One take Shay. One take. Wait, why are we doing it at the same time? Shouldn't we just do one? No, that's how we're supposed to do it. It's supposed to be <sighs> us talking together. Well, you're also typing as I'm reading, which is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're my little jar of joy. 